Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. And we're going to pray in a special way for bishops. Bishops have one of the most difficult jobs in the entire world. I know that we all, as Catholic Christian disciples of Jesus, are all called upon to carry the cross. We're all called upon to proclaim Jesus Christ. But bishops, bishops are successors of the apostles. And if you know anything about how the apostles ended up, you know that they are going to be asked very often to be giving a witness with their lives. And that meant martyrdom. As you know, all of the uh, successors of the apostles, well, with the exception of Judas, um, who betrayed Jesus, all ended up um, sacrificing their lives as part of their witness, with the exception of John, the apostle, who was the only one who died of old age. Um, but he in, was in, uh, uh, it's so to speak, in Patmos, in, uh, yeah, in, according to the book of Revelation. And so uh, they all, and, and even he, there was an attempt to end his life through boiling him in oil. How about that? But he survived it. So um, each of those who have that call to be bishops um, are being asked to put their whole lives on the line to put their whole lives on the line. Well, we're going to pray today because um, Father Frank Schuster is going to be consecrated a bishop, an auxiliary bishop in the Archdiocese of Seattle today. Today on the feast day of the apostles, Saints Philip, Philip and James, the apostles Philip and James. And yesterday was the feast of St. Athanasius, a doctor of the church, a father of the church. He was a priest and then bishop of, uh, archbishop of Alexandria in Egypt. Um, and he lived quite a life. So today on Sound Insight, we are going to pray for Father Frank Schuster. Uh, and in fact, hey, everyone, pay attention. Here on Sacred Heart Radio, you're going to have um, a live stream of the, obviously of the audio, of the um, Episcopal consecration of, uh, of Father Frank Schuster to the Episcopate. Um, he will be ordained in the fullness of the priesthood as a bishop, an auxiliary bishop. We'll talk about what auxiliary bishop means as well today on Sound Insight. But let's, let's say a prayer, and then I'm going to lay out some of the challenges, some of the challenges that uh, bishops today face and why we need to be praying for them in such a special way. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, and it's at 2 o'clock. Did I say it was at 2 o'clock? So if you tune in today at 2 o'clock, you're going to get a live feed of the um, Episcopal ordination of, uh, of Father Frank Schuster as Auxiliary Bishop of Seattle. Okay. Um, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, we love you and thank you and praise you for uh, loving us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. And we thank you, Jesus, for rising from the dead and for bringing us new life, for dying our death so that we could live as children of God. And we thank you, Jesus, for sending your spirit to live in our hearts along with the Father. Holy Spirit of the living God, thank you for being alive in our hearts. And we ask that you would truly be set free in us in new ways to live lives of holiness, to live lives of great faith. Lord our God, we are nothing without you. We long for you to 
give us the graces we need to be courageous, to be generous, to be merciful, to be willing to suffer, and to be humble. Give us those gifts, Lord. And I pray in a very special way for Father Schuster. I pray for our bishops. I pray for Archbishop Aitchen. I pray for Bishop Tyson. I pray for Bishop Daly. Uh, the bishops here, I pray for the auxiliary bishop, uh, Elizondo, uh, the bishops here in uh, the, the state of Washington. Lord our God, watch over them, bless them, protect them. And Lord, most of all, give them those graces of holiness on display. Give them the graces, the anointing to be courageous, generous, willing to suffer, mercy, and humility, that they too would play their part in being vibrant witnesses to the fullness of faith, even to the point of their martyrdom, even to the point of their witness that costs them their lives. Lord, bless our bishops today. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Tom, are you having a good day? <laughs> That's a pretty dramatic prayer. And it is, it's a very sobering prayer, isn't it? Uh, praying that our bishops have the grace, uh, receive the graces necessary to be martyrs, to be those who are willing to give their lives for the faith. And um, it's like, wow, what is that all about? Well, this isn't, this shouldn't be something that is too shocking, really, honestly. I just listen to the gospel. If I said, oh, let me, if someone said to you, Tom, point out a short section of the gospel that identifies the essence of the call to follow Jesus. And, and I would say it's in Mark chapter 8 from verse 34 to verse 39. And uh, I'm sorry, 38. And here's what it says. It says, Jesus summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if a man wishes to come after me, okay, so you want to be a disciple of Jesus? If a man wishes to come after me, he must deny his very self, take up his cross, and follow in my steps. Now, you know what happened to Jesus when he took up his cross and he walked the steps of the cross. It led to his crucifixion. Well, it continues. Jesus says, Whoever would preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will preserve it. What profit does a man show who gains the whole world and destroys himself in the process? What can a man offer in exchange for his life? If anyone in this faithless and corrupt age is ashamed of me and my doctrine, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes with the holy angels in his Father's glory. Uh, yeah, I know you've heard it before, but boy, isn't that Dense? Isn't that condensed? Isn't that a very concentrated presentation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? 
And I'm going to make it a little bit more personal for bishops. Why? Because bishops are not only the successors of the 12 apostles, right? That means successors of those sent by Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations, preaching the gospel and teaching us, teaching the world everything that he has commanded. So bishops are official teachers, official teachers, and often official teachers in settings, in locations, in places where the official teaching of the church, which is presenting the gospel in its fullness, will not be easily received, will not be welcomed, will in fact be rejected, will be attacked, will be uh, attempted to be shut down. And those who would bring the gospel to attempt to get them to dial back on their presentation, to hold back on their presentation, to uh, deny the fullness of the gospel. So what do we need today? We need bishops who are willing to hear this message that Jesus speaks to the crowds. He's saying it to the crowds. Here are the disciples right in front of him. Here are the 12 apostles and the other disciples in front of him. Hey, crowd, you want to know what it's like to be right here with these disciples and even more with these 12 apostles? My official teachers, the ones representing me, let's hear what Jesus is saying to these 12 apostles in a very special, heightened way. If a bishop wishes to come after me, he must deny his very self, take up his cross, and follow in my steps. And oh, by the way, you must know that, that one of the things that distinguishes a bishop is that they wear a pectoral cross. Not only do they dress in clerics, but walking around when they are walking around in their clerics, they also have a, a prominent cross that they carry around their necks as a visible display that they, in a very particular way, are to carry the cross. If a bishop wishes to come after me, he must deny his very self, take up his cross, and follow in my steps. Whichever bishop would preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will preserve it. So Jesus is presenting something pretty startling here. He's saying that there's something about proclaiming Jesus and proclaiming his message, his good news. The gospel is good news. There's something about the good news that it has a provocative quality. It will provoke. It will be a bright light shining into dark places. And those that are in the darkness will not abide it. They will not like it. If you have you ever, how many times have you walked into it? You're waking up your kids in the morning and it's dark out and you open the door in, the, in a dark room, you put on the light and it's like, hey, turn that light off. Right? The light strikes those that are living in the darkness, that are attempting to hide from the light. 
And so Jesus, he puts it right out there. Bishops, you are my teachers. And as my teachers, you are called upon to bring my teaching to the world. Right? There's, this is that, it's called the magisterium. Right? The magisterium is the official teaching of the church. And it also refers to those who hold the authority to teach in the church. Isn't that striking? That you say magisterium, you're referring either to the body of official teaching or the body of official teachers whose job it is to present the teaching. And so bishops are basically in the crosshairs. They're in the crosshairs of the culture of death, the crosshairs of the anti-gospel, anti-Catholic, anti-fullness uh, of the teaching of, of God presented to the world in Christ. But that's, a, that's a big <laughs> follow after anti. <laughs> the fullness of the church's teaching, it's going to provoke. It's going to provoke so much so that those who present it clearly, cleanly, strongly, are going to face pressure. They're going to face pushback. They are going to be confronted by an anti-gospel, a message that will be clever, a message that will be attempting to be uh, persuasive. It'll be seductive. It may even be overwhelming. But a bishop's call is to stand up and be willing to lose his life for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. Jesus continues, and again, I'm personalizing this for bishops. What profit does a bishop show who gains the whole world and destroys himself in the process? Well, does the bishop gain the whole world? Well, he doesn't gain the whole world, but one of the things that bishops have in their own Catholic diocese, in their own little Catholic world, is they have authority. They have the ability to boss people around. <laughs> they get to make the decisions, and people say, yes, your excellency. That's the title for a bishop. Yes, your excellency. You want me to jump? How high? You want me to go someplace? How far? Right? If a bishop struggling with what a priest is doing, let me just move you way right over to here. So bishops in, well, very often live in very comfortable settings. So there's a way in which the world can be very seductive to a bishop who can be very comfortable. We have lots of stuff around, lots of prestige comes with the position, with the office of bishop, lots of adulation, lots of deference. You know, let me defer to you. And so being a bishop can be a very seductive thing to one who is placed into that position. And so what profit does it a bishop show who gains the whole world and destroys himself in the process? What can a man offer in exchange for his life? Well, why is that at stake? Why is his life at stake in his call? Well, the rest of the passage tells you, which I'll tell you in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. So today in Sound Insight, I'm talking about the role of a bishop. And there's a reason why. And it's, it's, it's like, I'm always trying to pay attention. Like, Lord, what do you want me to talk about? Lord, what's the theme for today? Lord, give me some sense of where I'm supposed to go in this program. Because if you've followed Sound Insight, one of the things you know is that I will draw upon the happenings in the present world, but link them to the feast days, to the moment in the church's liturgical life, or to a teaching of the church that is um, relevant or presented to us. And so 
it felt like my own discernment was, hey, yesterday was the feast of St. Athanasius. And you've heard of the Athanasian Creed, right? You remember St. Athanasius, Athanasius contra mundum, Athanasius against the world. So Athanasius was a bishop living in the fourth century who um, had to confront a false teaching. And he had to stand up for this doctrine. And so let me come back to my Final comment, because I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I'm just telling you why I got to the theme that I came to today was yesterday's feast day was the Feast of St. Athanasius. And I thought, oh, this will be a great topic for Tuesday, since on Mondays, normally I'm on with the Good Fathers. And so uh, it wasn't a chance for me to dive into that theme all by myself. So I thought, oh, I'll talk about that on Tuesday. And then lo and behold, Tuesday are the Feast of Two Apostles, Philip and James, two martyrs, to apostles. And so I'm like, hey, that there's, there's a theme kind of coming together here. And then I received a message from Ron Belter, <coughs> the president and general manager of Sacred Heart Radio. He's like, hey, Tom, we are going to be streaming live the Episcopal ordination of Father James Schuster as auxiliary bishop in the Archdiocese of Seattle. And I'm like, oh, wow, that sort of seals the deal. What am I supposed to talk about? What would be a, a message that would be important to bring out and relevant apropos to the moment? I would say it's, let's pray for bishops. Let's pray for our bishops. Let's pray for Father Schuster, soon to be His Excellency, the Most Reverend Frank Schuster, the Auxiliary Bishop, one of the two Auxiliary Bishops of Seattle. Let's pay attention. Let's ponder that. What is it to, to be a bishop? What is it to be a bishop in general, but specifically in this moment? What is it to be a bishop? So to be a bishop is to be in the fullness of the priesthood. And so I'm taking a look at this call to be a disciple that Jesus puts forward in Matthew chapter 8, verse 34 to 38, and relating it to, personalizing it for, the call to be a bishop. And so the last verse, 38, brings home the point that I was making just before the break, which is why would someone's life, why would a bishop's life be at risk, um, at risk uh, in, the, in the terms of what it means to be a disciple as Jesus is presenting it? When Jesus says, if anyone or if any bishop, making again this personal for bishops, if any bishop in this faithless and corrupt age. Hey, do you think we live in a faithless and corrupt age? <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's like, yeah, the, the age is becoming less faithful and more corrupt, for sure. We're on a downward slope, and the, the battle lines are drawing clearer. If any bishop in this faithless and corrupt age is ashamed of me and my doctrine, that's the gospel, that's the teaching of the church, that's the magisterium, that's the official teaching of the church, that those who are in the magisterium, the bishops, are the official teachers. If any of these official teachers, any of these bishops in this faithless and corrupt age, so recognizing that, you know what, it's not an easy time, 
It's not an easy time to be a bishop. It's not an easy time to be an official teacher of the gospel. It is not going to be an easy time to present the gospel in its fullness. If any of them is ashamed of me and my doctrine, ashamed of me and my doctrine, the Son of Man, Jesus, will be ashamed of of that bishop when Jesus comes with the holy angels in his Father's glory. Whoa. So we're talking now not just about the reality of, as a bishop, what you should expect. What should you expect as an official teacher of the church called to be a witness of Jesus Christ? Well, you should expect to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow in the steps of Christ. That means be willing to be martyred to to that level of self-giving that striving to preserve your life, you're just going to lose it. So uh, if you lose your life, however, for the sake of Jesus and his gospel, you will preserve your life. So that's, it's like, um, do you realize what you're called to? When you are elevated into that role as a bishop, you're elevated into a role of having a lot more at stake. In fact, today, the feast of Saints Philip and James, two apostles, James chapter 3, verse 1, not many of you should be teachers, for you shall be held to a stricter judgment. Not many of you ought to be teachers, for you will be held to a stricter judgment, a stricter account. And so it's like, Pray for your bishops. We need to pray very much for Father Schuster becoming a bishop, an auxiliary bishop in the Archdiocese of Seattle. And that's happening today here on Sacred Heart Radio. You can tune in live at 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock. It's a beautiful ceremony. The prayers are amazing. The ritual of the Episcopal ordination, the ritual of the consecration to the fullness of the priesthood is a beautiful rite, R-I-T-E, a beautiful liturgical rite. And it would be a wonderful gift to be able to listen in to the ceremony, to the to the Mass of Ordination, and uh, be blessed by that, and, and also, frankly, to pray for Father Frank. <laughs> Did you, anybody wonder if that was coming? To, to pray for Father Frank, soon to be the most reverend Frank Schuster, because ready or not, Father Frank is going to be led into a higher level of account, a stricter account, regarding the proclamation of the gospel in a a moment in history when the gospel is, uh, is something that is a dividing line. The gospel is something that um, can lead to uh, the, the difference between acceptance or rejection. And, and not only, not only by the world, but also in the church. So, for instance, I, I was mentioning that yesterday was the feast of St. Athanasius. Now, St. Athanasius is a doctor of the church, a doctor of the church, which means that, again, his writings are considered a safe, sure source of edification for us in growing in our own faith. 
But if you know anything about Saint uh, Saint Athanasius, he was a bishop, uh, an archbishop of a very important diocese, the one of the five key sees, one of the five key cities uh, in the early church, Alexandria in Egypt, and uh, as a priest, a young theologian, and then as a bishop, uh, he participated in the Council of Nicaea and had a, an important voice in helping the Nicene Creed come together, which proclaimed that Jesus was fully God. Because there was a threat at the time, a doctrinal threat. And that doctrinal threat was uh, came from his archdiocese. It came from Alexandria. There was a, an eloquent, persuasive priest named Arius, and Arius presented the idea that, he, and, he, and he was clever, he was very clever in his phrasing, clever in his phrasing that there was when he was not. There was when he was not. Who's the he? The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. So Arius, a theologian, uh, a brilliant and persuasive thinker and communicator. He had the ability to captivate with his presentation uh, something that at a human level, at a human level, and at the level of speculating in faith, how do we identify the distinction between God the Father as the source and the Son as the generated Word? And when there was that ongoing reflection between what are we to make of the Word, the second person of the Trinity, in relationship to the first person of the Trinity, well, there would seem to be this priority, this primacy, this firstness to the Father that led him, Arius, wrongly to speculate and proclaim that there was a time when the Son of God was not. And there was a moment when God the Father generated God the Son. And together, the spiration of the Holy Spirit then came to be. And so there was a way in which it diminished the fullness of the divinity of the Son of God and by implication, also the Spirit. Well, we listen to that today, and we're like, oh, the speculations of theologians. Well, of course we recognize that as a heresy, and what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that this doctrine became a big deal. And the simple refutation that the then Archbishop of Alexandria thought would occur didn't occur. And the doctrine spread, and it infected other bishops. Other bishops became infected with a cleverly presented, attractive at the time, way of understanding the faith, and agreed with it. And by agreeing with it, they were betraying the gospel. They were ashamed of the gospel. Athanasius stood up and proclaimed 
the fullness of the gospel. And what happened? Well, the emperor got involved. The emperor Constantine, remember him? The one who called Nicaea? He was persuaded to send Athanasius into exile. Not a good thing. Not, a, not an easy thing. A time of separation, of isolation, of real suffering in exile. Eventually, he was brought out of exile, but refused to give in and started to proclaim again the fullness of the church's teaching. And he, once again, was this time by the bishops, brought forward to the Pope at the time, and unfortunately, another exile. Five times in the course of his life, he was exiled. Why? Because of the faith. He would not back down. He would not relent. Even when, they say, as many as 70% of the bishops of the time, okay, that's more than a simple majority. Seven out of ten bishops were agreeing with Arius and saying, Athanasius, dial it back, man. Slow it down. This is not, you know, let's let this other doctrine be. And what you're proposing, we don't agree with. 70% of the bishops. And who suffered as a result? He did. Five exiles as a result. But he never surrendered the fullness of the gospel. He had to deny his self. He had to give up the gain and the profit that the world offered him if he only would have relented and backed down. But he refused. He took up his cross and he followed in the steps of Jesus. He did not choose to preserve his life, but he was willing to lose it for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. Really, literally, for the sake of the, the gospel about Jesus, the truth about Jesus. He was not ashamed of Jesus and his doctrine. And as a result, he's the saint. He's the doctor of the church. He's the one who stood against the world. Was that easy? Uh-uh. Not even for a moment. Why do we need to be praying for our bishops? Because they will need a number of the virtues that St. Athanasius displayed in his life. Because we live in an age becoming increasingly faithless and increasingly corrupt. And we are in desperate need of bishops willing to stand up and be willing to present in its fullness, with courage, the teaching of the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and be willing to push back against doctrines that are linked to a faithless and corrupt age, even though popular, even though uh, a doctrine that would maybe lead to a kind of censoring, a canceling, a pushback, a fight, a, a, uh, even from other bishops. This is an age in needing an Athanasius. So that's why we need to be praying for our bishops. More on this in a minute on Sound Insight. 
Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. Today we're praying for bishops. Today we're praying for Father Frank Schuster, soon to be the most reverend Frank Schuster, Auxiliary Bishop of Seattle. And we do so on the feast of two other bishops, two of the first 12, Saints Philip and uh, uh, James, James the Lesser, two apostles, two of the 12 apostles who died martyrs' deaths, and the day after the feast of St. Athanasius, who uh, battled against the world, uh, St. Athanasius against the world, professing the fullness of the faith and preserving the purity of doctrine, even against 70% of the bishops that were out there. And so today I'm presenting and proposing that we need to pray for bishops so that they have courage, generosity, the willingness to suffer, mercy, and hilarity. To pray for those five virtues, those five gifts. Holy Spirit, please gift. Please gift Archbishop Aitchin and Bishop Tyson and Bishop Daly and Auxiliary Bishop Elizondo and the soon-to-be Auxiliary Bishop Schuster, Schuster, as well as the bishops of this world with an immense anointing of courage to proclaim the gospel in its fullness in a faithful and corrupt age, to do so with the generosity that they will extend themselves beyond places that are comfortable, places that would preserve their life, for the gift of being <clears throat> willing to suffer, to be willing to be suffering precisely because of their role as teachers, the official teachers of the church, as, as those in the magisterium and extending the magisterial teaching of the church, and that they would receive the gift of mercy, that they would know how to present the truth in a way that wins favor and extends a sense of an invitation to come back, to come out, to come from the darkness into the light, to ask to invite them to a new beginning and a fresh start, and hilarity, to not take themselves too seriously, when everyone around them will defer to them, will, uh, will uh, honor what they're asking, um, uh, will uh, uh, to be able to, to, to say, you're the one in authority, you make the decisions, that they will, in all hilarity, not take themselves seriously, but take seriously the task that is theirs as the fullness, uh, as the teachers of the fullness of the church's teaching today. Not an easy call. Not an easy call. We're going to learn from Saints Philip and James in just a little bit about how um, how we, because we're also called, right, as disciples of Jesus, to present the teaching of the church in a faithless and corrupt age, in our own time, in our own space, in our own way, in accord with our situation and call in life. So my call as a Catholic theologian, um, as a Catholic theologian, I have a also a vocation. There's an ecclesial vocation that comes to a Catholic theologian. And and the way that the church teaches it is that the ecclesial vocation of the theologian is in part to present the teaching of the church in a way that can be heard by our time, not in a way that betrays uh, the 
uh, essence of the of the teaching in order to be relevant to the times, but in a way that can be heard, in a way that can be applied, in a way that can be received. And being received isn't always going to be enjoyed, but it's going to be received. And so I'm going to share with you just for a couple of minutes now, one of the greatest evils that we desperately need our bishops to speak out against with fervor, with courage, with a willingness to, uh, with a generosity and a willingness to suffer, as well as with that sense of mercy and um, hilarity. What am I talking about? Well, for more than 20 years, uh, if I go back actually 30 years, one of my first audiences uh, where I would be invited to speak is young people. And one of the things that I became um, uh, drawn into was teaching young people about chastity. And I did so actually serving Archbishop Brunette. He put together a program called Formation for Love and Chastity, which I was asked to take his teaching and come up with a way to present it to the Catholic schools around the archdiocese. This was back in 2002, and I did that for several years. And in fact, the teachings that I put together built on Archbishop Brunette's letter um, I turned into television programs that aired on uh, EWTN multiple times over the course of, I don't know, eight or nine years at least. Um, and so it's something that I'm, I'm really happy about. But I was able to draw upon the teaching of the Catholic Church, the teaching especially of St. John Paul II on the theology of the body, and the teachings that I had gained from, the insights that I had gained from reading uh, and listening to lots of uh, chastity speakers, as young people speaking about chastity, um, and learning about statistics associated with young people as they moved into the time of puberty, so in the time of being tweens into their early teens, and so lots of times speaking to high school kids. Well, here's one of the things that I've, I've learned along the way, uh, and it's just as a slight tangent, and I'll come right back, and it's this. Most self-help books become popular, not because they're really, really good at giving answers, but because they do an amazing job at naming the pain of those whose situation they're addressing. When an author of a self-help book is able to name someone's pain, to name their situation such that the person is like, oh my goodness, how does he know me? Oh my goodness, what she is saying here, what, what I'm reading there, what I'm watching here is so much what's happening inside of me because they do such a good job at naming what's happening inside of me existentially, personally, deeply, then the solution that they're presenting, the interpretation of what's going on, and the solution of what to do about it, well, they must be right on that too. Okay, you tracking with me? If I can name where you're at, here's what you're experiencing, then my interpretation of it, here's what that is, here's why you're experiencing it, now let me present to you what to do about it. Gotcha. That's how so many self-help books become popular. Not because they're deeply insightful interpretations. They're often weak, <laughs> they're muddy, or they're just wrong. Or the things that they're saying you ought to do about it as a result, 
those things are often not very helpful at all. Um, might have little bits and elements of the truth in them as well. Okay, what have I learned? Well, what I've learned is this. Through all those years, through that maybe 15 years where I studied and presented, gave talks on, and, and uh, help present the church's teaching on modesty, chastity, purity, and self-control. The church's teaching on being a man and a woman created in the image of God, male and female, talking about sexual identity. I learned so much about what kids were experiencing in the tween and early teen years and in the high school years. And you know what it is? In those years... You have the emergence into their consciousness. They become aware of this ache in their heart. They become aware of an ache in the depths of their heart. I talk about the urge, the ache, and the yearning is what I used to talk about. <laughs> the, the urge is the awareness of the sexual urge that is in them, that sexual desire that emerges in them in their tween years into their early teen years. That's puberty, right, with the hormones. And all of a sudden, these desires that are connected to their, that their own sense of being um, a sexual being emerges at the same time as the ache in their heart. And that ache in their heart is an indicator it's a pointer to the reality that they're created in the image of God. And they're created not only by God, but they're created for God, for a relationship with God. And the ache that's in their heart is an ache for communion. It's an ache for relationship. It's an ache to belong, to be found acceptable and accepted, to be celebrated for who I am. That's what emerges in the minds and hearts, in the awareness, the consciousness of young people as they are in 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, into ninth grade, 10th grade in high school, right? They're moving away from this embedded sense of identity that is associated with their family. And now all of a sudden, there's this sense of being exposed, and there's this sense of being empty and hungry and, and longing to belong and be accepted, and yet there's this confusing set of desires that are emerging in them. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. Well, how do you interpret that? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute on Sound Insight. Okay, so welcome back to the program. Here I am. And this is, this is about bishops, right? This is about bishops called to be teachers in our time and uh, are called to be praying for our bishops. But I wanted to focus in on just one of the areas where we need not just bishops, but priests and any parent, every parent, any adult leader in parishes. How about in Catholic schools, principals, uh, theology teachers, uh, campus ministers need to make a decision. I'm going to make a decision. You see, the phenomenon, what's showing up in the kids' lives, it's the same. It's the same because they're human beings. Kids in their tween years, in their early teen years, in the high school years, what emerges in their hearts, in their consciousness, in their awareness, is the ache. The ache to belong. The ache to be in a relationship that says, you know me. 
you're naming who I am and you're finding me acceptable and you're willing to celebrate me. I'm accepted. It's that longing for, the theological word is communion. I'm not talking about receiving Holy Communion. I mean to be in union with. And it's an indicator they're made by God. That ache emerges in those years. Along with the sexual urge, those desires, which can be so confusing. So confusing. Now, guess who knows this? Well, lots of people know this. Lots of people who have evil intentions, dark intentions, broken intentions, confused intentions, who are misled, misguided, or even demonically impacted. Devil hates the faith. The devil hates human beings. And what does the devil want to do? Devil wants to present stumbling blocks and lies to confuse, to trip up, and to lead into bondage. So what do we see in our time? We see a massive effort, a massive effort to present an alternative interpretation to what's going on. An interpretation, right? No, they'll name the experience the way I just named it. They'll use slightly different terms. They'll talk about feeling confused, feeling lonely, not feeling at home in yourself any longer, not feeling like you belong. There's things that are changing inside of me and I don't like what I see. I don't like what I look like. I don't feel like I belong. Oh, they'll go right down that trail because that's an authentically human experience at that time in their kids' lives, but they'll interpret it differently. And so the dark, broken, diabolically disorienting presentation, interpretation of that reality, transgender ideology. Transgender ideology is a complete overthrow of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hear it again. You have the gospel of Jesus Christ, the teaching of the church, the teaching of the scriptures, and of 2,000 years. We need St. Athanasius today to stand up and say, God made us male and female. And as God made us male and female, there will be a time in your life, young people, where it's going to dawn on you on the inside that there's an ache in your heart. That's, that's an invitation for you to turn to the Lord and discover that he knows you and that he loves you. And that ache will lead to a yearning for him. And that's where you'll truly belong. That's where you'll discover who you really are. And you'll come to discover and flourish as God made you, male and female. That's who you are. And that's how you'll flourish. But we have a clever, intimidating, pervasive, disorienting, interpretation of that fundamental human reality and that interpretation that comes from transgender ideology is leading to confusing darkness depression and horrific consequences in the lives of kids who are being fed and shoveled this through the internet through smartphones through Snapchat, through Instagram, through TikTok, through um, uh, so many of these platforms that they'll discover online, through now mainstream media, songs and even movies and TV shows, it is coming full force like a tidal wave. 
We need Athanasius today to stand up and say, parents, if you love your kids, you will not give them a smartphone. Parents, if you love your kids, you will keep them off of TikTok, off of Instagram, off of YouTube, off of um, uh, Snapchat. If you love your kids, if you are courageous, you'll rip that out of their hands. Do not let them be exposed to filth that will lead them into darkness, into blindness, into pain and suffering, into confusion. And then you not only go to an interpretation that says there are these whole multiple flavors, dozens of of self-identifying genders that kids can then somehow find. What are they looking for? A sense of belonging. They're looking for a safe a place of affirmation because you know what? They don't feel comfortable with themselves. No kidding. They don't feel comfortable with themselves because they're tweens and teens. It's part of the human condition. Now, in some instances, there's more at work than that. There can be abuse. There can be uh, home situations. There can be uh, mental health issues. There, there are diagnostic ways of understanding that. That's not what I'm getting into today. But what I am getting into is when Catholic institutions like Catholic schools support and promote through clubs a lie, a diabolically disorienting lie that they promote it, support it, and enhance it and celebrate it, it's being ashamed of the gospel. It's being ashamed of Jesus it's being ashamed of the only truth that will set these kids free. God made you male and female. Where are the courageous Athanasius today? Where is courageous Athanasius? It's what we need. We need courageous proclaimers of just what the church teaches. What the church teaches. Courage. Generosity. The willingness to suffer. And yes, mercy. Tender mercies for the misled tender mercies for the confused, tender mercies for the broken, tender mercies for those who are now trapped in darkness. But we need courageous leaders. We need Athanasius today to stand up, speak out, push back, push back against priests who would speak and permit, promote, or stay silent in the midst of lies principals in Catholic schools that would permit, promote, or stay silent in the midst of lies that are eviscerating and destroying, the confusion, instituting confusion in the lives of these poor kids. These poor, and then in our public schools, where are our Athanasiuses to speak out on their behalf, on behalf of the vulnerable little children who are being exposed to these pernicious, devastating lies that will sow confusion in their minds and hearts, in their families, parents who are at a loss of what to do, who are unaware of what's happening, and of kids who are having their innocence stripped away from them. Where is Athanasius today? Athanasius against the world. We need bishops against the internet. We need bishops willing to stand up and say to their parents out loud, get the smartphone out of your kids' hands. Get the smartphone out of your kids' hands. Get your kids off of TikTok. Get your kids 
off of Snapchat, off of Instagram, or monitor it so severely, so strongly, that you will protect your kids from devastation that will hit their lives. If we don't do it, we are failing as parents, failing as men, men of God and disciples of Christ, failing as men and women called to protect the innocence of the little ones, their innocence, their purity, their modesty, their chastity, their self-control. We are called upon to stand up and proclaim the gospel. We are desperately in need of priests who will lead the way in that task and bishops who will prompt priests, lead priests, and set by example that same reality. Standing up for nothing more than the fullness of the faith, the teaching of the church. Why is it so hard today to say God made us male and female? And that's a truth that will set us free. And that ideas that contradict that, interpretations of the fundamental human experience and reality that so many are experiencing today as deceptive lies, the interpretation of the human experience today is a deceptive, diabolically disorienting lie that are damaging human lives. And the paths that they lead down with hormone treatments and surgeries that ruin they can ruin these kids biologically for the rest of their lives? Where is the courage? Where is the fortitude? Where is the spirit of Athanasius that we desperately need today? Let's not be ashamed of the gospel. I don't want Jesus to be ashamed of me. Thanks so much for listening today. Pray for our bishops. Pray for another Athanasius. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sun Insight.